Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the On Texas Football Friday afternoon live stream. A little bit different for me being here on a Friday, but glad to be here nonetheless. I'm joined by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of Inside Texas and On3 Sports. And guys, how's it going today? Going good for me. Going great, man. Going great. It's getting hot, so we can start dropping some pounds here in the summer. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, I want to jump right into it, guys. Bobby, you had a, a great interview, I thought, this week with Cedric Griffin, you know, former Longhorn who was on the 05 National Championship team. And, man, he had a lot to say. You know, I know it was only about 20 or 30 minutes, but y'all covered a, a, a lot of topics. Um, and one of the main ones that I wanted to discuss, and Jerry, I wanted your opinion on this, too, was he talked about multi-sport athletes and how important it is. Um, and one thing that, that really stood out to me when his, you know, one of the points he was making was the messages that you're getting from all the coaches. And I never really thought about that before. You know, I know about cross training, sport A is going to help you in sport B and so on and so on. But I never really thought about all the messages that, you know, you're getting from all these different coaches and how you're going to apply them to your main sport. And uh, Jerry, I mean, you see tons of prospects, Bobby, you've seen tons over the years, you know, in y'all's opinion, how important is that for athletes to play more than just football? I, I think it from more than the athletic standpoint, I think the thing that I like about it is I like to see guys in adverse situations and we can see a lot of these top guys on Friday night in football and you don't, you, you may not see them in many adverse situations. But if they play another sport, they're not always going to be the best player on the team, right? I mean, um, so you get to see how they are being the third option instead of the first option. And, you know, first option is a quarterback in football, third option scoring the basketball, right? How do guys respond to that? Are they still leaders? Do they back down? Um, how do they handle, you know, it's just all of that stuff is so interesting to me. Um, and I like more team sports, right? I mean, track's a little different unless you're running on relays um, because you can be in, you can just do jumps and you can do the 100 and the 200, right? And, and you're on a team, but you're still more individual within that team. I really like the football, baseball, basketball. You know, heck, uh, Micah Hudson's the goalie on a soccer team, right? I mean, so I like the team sports situations where a kid may not be the best player in another sport. And how do they respond to that? I'll never forget, you know, in the days of the satellite camps, and they still have some of them, but maybe not as many. I was at a satellite camp over in Cyprus, and uh, I was listening to Art Browse talk to some high school coaches. And this was kind of at the height of Baylor when they're building it. And, you know, he talked about wanting his quarterback to play other sports and not be the best player on that team. And how in how he was as a teammate, he had to he had to learn how to be a teammate without being the alpha on that team. And he thought that was so important. And I kind of agree with that. When once I heard that, I said that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so I, I don't know what Bobby's opinions are, but I, I I like to see kids in adverse situations. We don't see it on Friday night very often. Yeah. No, you don't, I, Jerry. My first non-averse situation of a player. That I, or the one that I remember the most, I went, uh, I used to go to high school games two on a Friday night. So I'd go see first half of one, go to another one, the second half. Well, I made the mistake of going to the second half of a Houston Madison game. <laughs> for Fitz Young, I showed up at halftime 
it was 50 to nothing and Vince wasn't playing in the second half. <laughs> he was in the stands next I, to you. <laughs> literally, he, he waved down the kickoff team it, to start the second half. That was it. And that's the only play he had the only second half. So adverse situations can be rare for certain <laughs> players. Um, the thing that, that caught me more, Jerry, than that was, and this it relates uh, to not only taking multiple coaching like Cedric talked about, but he talked about the meticulous nature of other sports. So in football, there are certain finite drills that you have to get really right to see the benefit of. Well, the same can be said in track and field if you're doing the hurdles, mm -hmm. right? And it's how you take and learn from that coaching uh, that I thought was interesting because it's not just getting more, you know, doing more reps or getting staying in better shape. It's actually, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty details of what it takes to be not just good, but great. Um, and so I, I really feel like if we look at it that way, um, my, Cedric Griffin certainly had some, some interesting things to say. Uh, and I'd encourage folks to listen to that interview because I, mm -hmm. I felt like he was extraordinarily articulate and was able to communicate that in a way that's much better than I think even me, Jerry Blake can, because uh, it comes from a true, high-level athlete who's lived it and breathed it. Yeah, yeah. and I'll add, as far as the athletic points, um, I love to go watch an offensive line prospect play basketball. And I'm sure Bobby's the same way because you get to see the feet, the reactive quickness, the body quickness. Um, can, that, can this big guy play out of his area, rebound the ball out of his area? And just you get to see more twitch than maybe you do on a football field at times. And especially with the young kids, you can kind of see those frames without pads on. You see how those guys move. So there's from our standpoint, there's a ton of benefit in watching guys on a basketball court to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, I don't know what Bobby thinks, but I've always thought the basketball court watching football prospects was invaluable. I, 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 I totally agree with the basketball stuff. I, the sport that I never really saw anybody play, but I know it would work well as soccer, to your point with Micah Hudson. I mean, I've yeah. watched soccer separately, but not a football player play soccer. I can only imagine how much that would matter. I, Ahmad Brooks, for example, was a former All-State soccer player at Abilene High, not just a DB that ended up playing in the NFL for the, for the Bills. So, uh, there's a lot of that. Hey, I've got to say thanks to our one of our key sponsors real quick, guys. That's Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, each and every Friday, Andy and his group at MyPerfectFranchise sponsor the Longhorn live stream here. Uh, we appreciate him very much. Uh, if you've ever thought about owning your own business and owning a franchise, Andy Ludicky is who you want to start with. He can cut through it all, all the red tape, get you down to a certain few businesses that really might fit you personally. Uh, Andy is a good guy. Uh, I've, I've known him for, I guess, 25 years now. Uh, try him at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. That's Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. All right. Well, you know, I pulled some numbers real quick, just to kind of talking about these multi-sport athletes. In this year's 2023 draft, there's 259 players selected. 89% of those were multi-sport athletes. In high school? Yes. 69% participated in track and field. And 43% were th three sport or more athletes. The highest position group was uh, running back and defensive backs. 89% of both of those ran track. The 
smallest amount was quarterbacks. Only 42% of quarterbacks are multi-sport athletes. The quarterbacks makes total sense because it's such a specialized training mm -hmm. at a young age, right? And those kids probably played baseball and football, right? I mean, yep. not many. you don't see many quarterbacks playing hoops in high school anymore. Um, so, yeah, that does not surprise me with how specialized – with where specialized training is gone at such an early age. And when you're a running back, defensive back, a lot of those kids, they're not going to get into specialized training until they're a little older, especially those DB wide receivers. Um, and even then, you're going to run track. If you're if you're in Texas and you're not running track, but you're a really talented DB or wide receiver, the college coaches kind of question your competitive <laughs> nature. I'll be honest. They Bob, I'm sure you've heard it. <laughs> they they absolutely do because they want to know if you run a 10-7 or you run an 11-1. Right. I mean, and and they want to know you. They want to see you put it out there uh, yep. a lot of times. Now, sometimes it's not necessary, but a lot of times it is. I, I will add this. Um, as you're talking about uh, all of the, the numbers and, and whatnot, I'm not surprised by the 43% for quarterbacks either. Um, I will uh, that they didn't play another sport. I will say what was funny about that is this. I remember Colt McCoy being either an all region or all state basketball player, but I kind of wonder his dad was the athletic director of that <laughs> high school. So he's like, Colt, you're playing every sport, son. <laughs> yes. yeah, no, it, but Sam Ellinger, yeah, no, yeah, you know, to y'all's point, yeah. uh, the other guys, it takes a different level of refinement these days uh, to get further along at quarterback alone, not necessarily the other positions, to your point, Blake. Uh, Bobby, to your point, Baron Morton is the modern-day Colt McCoy in that regard. Like, he's a small-town guy. His dad mm -hmm. was a head coach, athletic director. Baron qualified for state in golf, right? I think he played tennis. You know, so those guys play everything. Um, and, and it's kind of one of the reasons I really like Baron Morton is just that, you know, he's – those guys, everything they do, they do it well because they're forced to at the smaller schools, right, yeah. as the coaches' kids. And it tends to really carry over in the leadership positions with those guys. For sure. Yeah, Morton, of course, Eastland is in our district here. Yep. And so I, I, every time they would come to town, you know, uh, he was there playing everything. Every, every single sport. It was like I called his name on the radio in basketball and football. You know, it just saw baseball. I mean, it just never stopped. He was involved in everything. Yeah, for sure. So one other thing that I was going to bring up, though, guys, it was interesting to me. When you look at rounds one through three of the draft this year, the defensive backs and running backs percentage that were multi-sport athletes were actually 20 percent lower than those taken rounds four through seven. Kind of a interesting. I mean, it goes from the 70s up to the 90s from one to three through four to seven in those rounds. Uh, Bob, they're taking more flyers late. They're taking more flyers late, right, Jerry? And, and is that more late developers, too, into the football sport, yeah, maybe, be. that maybe were track guys that maybe weren't as highly recruited and end up playing football? Um, because the one thing about it is the our recruiting rankings in our industry have gotten pretty good, I think, with all the combine testing numbers and everything we have access to. Um, so a lot of times those highly ranked guys that are drafted high – you know, they were known commodities 14, 15 years old. And you kind of wonder um, if some of those kids who are the late bloomers or some of those guys later in the draft that may have even been basketball guys that turned to football when they realized the AAU coach had been wrong about the 6-1 power forward for four years. You know, I mean, it's just like, uh, I think that's part of it too. It's an It's a great discussion. For sure.
Well, uh, Bobby, I know you got a trivia question that you guys normally do on Fridays. I'll let you go ahead and, and lead with that, and maybe we can get to some questions here. All right, this is going to be a little bit of a tricky one, okay? Who was the first Longhorn to ever block and or to ever return, excuse me, a field goal for a touchdown? Happened in 2002. Who was the first Longhorn to ever return a blocked field goal for a touchdown? Uh, this trivia question is sponsored by Last Stand Hats. Uh, cool hats like this one right here. Uh, at are available at Last Stand Hats. If you are uh, online, use the promo code Bobby10 for 10% off. Mike Murphy's our friend there at Last Stand Hats, and he'll get it out to you as soon as possible. Uh, that's Bobby10. Use the code Last Stand Hats. Okay, let's see if we've got the answer here. This is a this is a little tough one. It is. It was. I was surprised that it took till 2002 to happen. This, I know. This is, not, this is not the answer, but that when the my mem my first memory is not that, but it's watching Rod Wright run down the football field against OU after the interception <laughs> and how long <laughs> it took him to get there. Well, nobody is getting this answer right now. I I'll give him I'll give him another hint. It it's there's a reason we chose this question today. <laughs> so somebody and missed the question. You want to I'll read, read I'll repeat the question. Who is the very first Longhorn to return? a blocked field goal for a touchdown. It happened in 2002 against Tulane. And Alan Barrera gets it right. <laughs> Cedric Griffin, uh, he was a young guy, just a pup on the roster. Uh, it was the one that was able to do it. Alan, congrats, bud. Uh, you're the first one to get that question. Uh, but I wanted to give hats off for me and Jerry and Blake. We're thinking of what we could ask today. And we came up with that one because we wanted to kind of honor Cedric. Uh, and some of the things he did uh, while he was a Longhorn as well. All right. Like you want to get to questions or what? I, I, yeah, there we go. Jay, the activist, super chat. We want to thank Jay, of course. And uh, he says, you know why I'm here? Basketball portal update. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll we're, we're, uh, have a report on Inside Texas. It's probably up right now or about to be up. But uh, Caleb Love is expected, the UNC transfer, to visit Arizona and Texas. Um, here in the next few days, the dead period ends today. Um, at, I think 11:59 p.m. on on the 26th. So I uh, expect to see Caleb Love in Tucson this weekend. Probably scheduled to be at Texas right after that. We'll see if he goes to Gonzaga. Um, but it's it's looking like one of those three schools, and it's a battle royale. Um, Cam Spencer, the guard from Rutgers, Texas, is no longer involved there. Um, he after doing his Zoom calls with college coaches, he was looking for a place he might actually get some time at point guard to help his future stock after really looking at what he needed to do. And obviously with Texas having uh, Tyrese Hunter back and Max Asmus, that just wasn't going to happen at Texas. So that fit is not there. Arthur Kaluma uh, still potentially can pull out of the draft. Um, it, should that happen, Texas is expected to be right there for him. Um, Arizona was the other school I was hearing early on for Kaluma. They just took San Diego tran state transfer power forward. Um, so I don't know if that's the fit for Kaluma right now. Uh, so that could, uh, really, those are the two guys, Cam, uh, Caleb Love and Arthur Kaluma, Texas is really concentrating on. I expect a couple more, three more grad transfers to pop into the market here coming up in the next week or so. 
Man, it sounds very busy. <laughs> very. And busy. Texas needs two more guys to get. I mean, that's really their goal is to get two more guys to where they have ten scholarship players and rotation players. Then they might add an eleventh scholarship player that may probably wouldn't be a rotation player, but ten guys fighting for those rotation spots. And obviously, that cuts down the nine, eight and a half late in the season. But they they need to get the ten. All right. Well, we want to thank Jay the Activist once again. And another question, another super chat from Jay the Activist. So we're going to just keep thinking. Uh, what was the most random second sport for a football player you have seen? That's a good question. Jerry, you, it's got to be rugby for you, right? With Ian Reed last year. <laughs> I mean, I'd never that I've been in the industry 20 years, Bobby, and that's the first rugby practice I'd ever got. But here, how about this? Ethan Burke and lacrosse. I yeah. mean, it, that's a that's but northeastern guys play a lot of lacrosse, so probably not, right? I mean, heck, even uh, Jack Nicholas's grandson, uh, what was his name? Leary tied in, went to FSU. Uh, Nick O'Leary played lacrosse in high school at Benjamin School before he transferred to Dwyer, so probably not lacrosse. Uh, Baron Morton qualified for state in golf. I mean, you know, quarterbacks in golf and kickers in golf tend to go uh, hand in hand a lot of times. Um, I I I, I want to say this. I've never I, seen I a back. football recruit that was a swimmer that competitively swam, I don't think. No. I'll go back. I'll go one that was one of the first ones I realized in my young life when I was really, really young. Followed the Rockets, of course. I grew up in Houston, so the Houston Rockets. This is not a football player, but it was a basketball player, John Lucas. Oh, yeah. The former point guard who now teaches uh, players in the Houston area. His son was an assistant coach at Texas for a while, Jay Lucas. Uh, but John Lucas was an All-American tennis player at Maryland while also being an All-American yeah. basket. That's a pretty odd You think comment. he's got pretty good hand-eye coordination? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I got the winner. I got the winner. And feet. And feet. And feet. I, mean, I got the winner. Calvin Murphy was a competitive twirler. Baton. <laughs> no. Really? He may have even done it in, like, high school or something. Somebody oh, Calvin Murphy. Not Calvin person. Murray. Calvin Murphy. Calvin yes. Murphy. Yes. Calvin That's Murphy crazy. was I, he, he and he would did that at halftime of some Rockets games. I like he would <laughs> be out there with his baton. All right. I mean, I think he was may have done that in high school competitively. Somebody will know the answer. Yeah. That yeah, has to be yeah. the winner if that if I'm actually and hit it. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a random one. That's for sure. No <laughs> doubt about it. Well, thank you, Jay. Our next super chat is from Derek Wisner, uh, and he says, "No relation to Trey." <laughs> I was about to say, "Do you think <laughs> Trey's future is at running back or somewhere else?" Jerry, you want to take this one, or you both want to chime in? No, uh, yeah, let's both of us chime in. But I'll start. I, I, a lot of that's going to depend on frame where it goes, um, you know. But what I think one of the things that makes Trey such a good prospect is he catches the ball so well, he plays in space so well. So I, I think playing a role as a running back that could also play in a slot and slot wide receiver is really inviting for a kid of his talents. Um, but a lot of that's going to go to the mentality. I mean, you know, what Trey wants to do. Um, obviously, Savion Red started his career at slot receiver, moved to running back. He's got that compact running back frame. Uh, but I think one of the things about uh, that is going to make Trey valuable, at, so valuable at Texas is the, the offensive scheme and how he fits it, Bobby. Space. Yep. Mm -hmm. Space player, you know, and this is a, this is one of those things that, that I always think of in 
Sark has done this quite a bit, but his last two, his, his two primary receivers in this 2023 <laughs> class. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but but my point to him it, uh, about him is this: I could see DeAndre Moore eventually being an outside guy, and I could see um, Deontay Cook or Jonte Cook staying on the outside as well. So that's going to open up the slot to whomever. Um, and, uh, you know, so whether that's Trey or someone like Ryan Niblett, I'm not sure. Um, I think Trey has really, really good hands and can make people miss in short space. Um, I saw him play in the state championship game. So I'm playing a couple other games over his high school career, some at Connolly as a, as a junior. And what, what I saw there was a, he's not necessarily a bang it football player. Like he's not going to go and tear people up, but he's not unphysical either. Right. Does that make sense? Like he's not a shy mm -hmm. from physical uh, guy. So I think actually think uh, it sit, it would fit him well, maybe to coach cross train between slot and uh, running back, maybe start at slot uh, in the fall. So he gets some reps there. He's had numerous reps in his life at running back, of course. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, a lot I, I, of it, I'm, this, I'm going to do a first year. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask one of our guys a question, Derek. What does Trey want to play in the future? And if you can answer that for all the Texas fans right now, before you <laughs> drop them off at 8 a.m. Sunday, that'd be awesome. <laughs> there, there it is. He's had played receiver during his early years. Yeah. I feel like that that could be a case. It just all depends. You know, yeah. that's what we're looking at is and I think the thing that that strikes me, except for outside receivers, is that Sark wants guys that score touchdowns. I mean, that that's let's there's there's big backs like Cedric Baxter, like Jonathan Brooks, even maybe a guy like a Jarrett Gibson, but they want guys that score touchdowns ultimately. Um and uh Trey was certainly one of those. Hey, by the way, one of the coolest things from the Cedric Griffin interview, Bobby, was when these guys that played No. 5 and played in the NFL can name the recruits by name. And he didn't just name them by name. He said CB4, Cedric Baxter. Yeah. He had the CB4. <laughs> I thought that was one of the coolest things. Is guys that have won a national championship and played seven, eight, ten years in the NFL, that they know the recruits by name and nickname mm -hmm. is pretty cool because – Cedric Griffin's never – Cedric Baxter's never been at a track meet where Cedric Griffin was coaching. He's obviously gone and watched the huddle tape of this kid to form an opinion. I think that was pretty cool. It, it is, and, and I, I want to say this too about that is uh, Cedric is not one of those guys we hear a lot from. Like he has right. – he's not I – mean, no offense. I mean, but Quandre Diggs yeah. is all over recruiting. Right. Right. Like, I mean, he comments in – in our uh, message board posts all the time. Uh, so it was interesting to hear someone else, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that was very interested in it. Uh, he had that conversation about Jelani McDonald, uh, which was terrific as well. Derek Weiser, thank there you. you go. uh, and good luck to you. Uh, he just uh, answered the question. Yeah. yeah. Trailer play wherever the coach is putting. He's a football player, Derek says. Hey, so. that's guys that impact winning and help you go from eight wins to 10 wins to 12 wins right there. That's right. Well, thank you, Derek, for the question. We appreciate it. And I think we have another super chat, if I remember correctly, here from Robert Muhammad. Thank you, Robert. And he says, I hear talk about spring games and high school football in Texas. 
Is that real? I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I know we don't have spring games. Yes, um, I will go with no relation to Malik Muhammad. If that's two in a row, that's an all-time for the on Texas football, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, spring games are real in Texas. Um, now, it's inter-squad, right, at the high school level in Texas. So, Spring Westfield can't go play North Shore in a spring game. In Florida, they just have at it. They have what in Mississippi, they have jamborees where three or four teams are scheduled and come, and then they just play for a quarter against each other and just kind of round robbing it. Um, that's one of the things when I was living in Florida that made that so much fun in spring football is you could literally go to a spring game at, down at like FIU would put on something where there'd be 12 teams playing on three fields. It, it was a college the coach. It was a college coach's heaven because yes. they would sit there from eight a.m. till midnight, and yep. they would all congregate and watch, you know, forty different possible <laughs> in, uh, college level players, and not have to move their butt other than go to the food truck. Yep. Yeah, mean, and the, the last year I went down to FIU when they were playing that in Florida, I, Bobby. There were over a hundred Division One players because you had the Northwesterns, the Centrals, you had all those teams as part of it. And you just lost track of how many players there were at that point. That's yeah. crazy. And now I think it is important to say, though, that the smaller schools in Texas can't Correct. have spring games. It is worth noting that, that three, and, what is and, it, three yeah, and low. It's a great point, Blake. And so for Robert, so to further what Blake said, and that's a great point is in Texas, if you have spring football practice, you only get one scrimmage before the season. If you don't have spring football practice or too small of a school that you can't have spring practice, you have two scrimmages before the season. So the high school coaches do have to make that decision. Some of the guys don't have spring practice um, and they just have their athletic period. Now they can be out in their athletic period and do football yeah. things, but it's still not considered spring football practice uh, after school in pads. So those guys have to make a decision sometimes. Do I want one scrimmage or two? Uh, versus having spring practice. And it goes both ways. A lot of schools do have spring practice at the 5 and 6A level. For sure. Great question there, uh, especially for people that don't live in Texas and aren't familiar with football or high school football in the state. All right, guys, next question is from Gamers Life, and he says, who's going to drop the grenade today? Maybe somebody put Rhett Bomar in the top Big 12 quarterback in 2005. LMAO. <laughs> I, I think Jerry should drop a uh, RPM prediction right now on some recruit that nobody's thinking about that that would that would do it for most of the folks yeah, yeah. eric what did, about did you see eric put in a uh, rpm for parker livingstone the other day yeah eric, yeah i mean i would do that too um I, I think that one is uh texas's recruitment to lose so to speak right now south carolina and arkansas are getting official visits but i think parker livingstone uh texas in a really good spot headed into june um you know on inside texas for our uh our scoop, which should be up here now or a few minutes ago or shortly, we kind of talk about what it's going to take for Texas to win some of these big recruitments. Uh, so that's something if you are not a part of Inside Texas, jump over there and read that. Um, I'm, I'm, let me think about that. I might, I might have something here. I might even go with the RPM on a 2025 guy in a few minutes. Let's see. <laughs> with that, before I actually make it a story. We'll see. Hey, Jerry, one thing I do want to get to at some point, either today or in our next chat, um, we know Trey Owens is the quarterback for 2024. I saw some chatter on the board about who it might be for 25 and 26 that Texas is uh, uh, targeting. 
is that clear yet or is that still a TBD right now in your opinion? That's still TBD. I think there's some kids talking about reclassifying from 26 to 25. That could play into it. I think the spring evaluations here are big and then the summer camp evaluations because what I what happens is AJ Milwee goes watches prospect. They get prospect to camp. Quarterback spends time with Steve Sarkeesian and Milwee decisions are normally made and you got to remember like Trey Owens wasn't offered for a while even though we we kept saying inside Texas he was the top guy in state he was the top guy in state he wasn't offered for a while because they continued to evaluate him into that junior season because he'd only started three games as a sophomore so as impressive as he was at the camp setting fitting the Texas scheme as Sark saying the ability to make all the throws they wanted to evaluate him into that season uh, there's Sadir Mitchell played basketball in high school. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, so that I think that's going to be part of it. And I think that evaluation process, unless it's a kid who reclasses from 26 to 25, is going to continue into the season. Uh, I'll tell you what, the kid I saw this spring, guys, at quarterback that I went way past my expectations was Keelan Russell at Duncanville. And I mentioned him, I think, last week because I was at Duncanville. He's going to be the best natural passing quarterback I've ever seen at Dockinville. And I think the coaching staff's pretty much saying that now, too. And, you know, the first thing I did after I walked up, watched the practice, I walked right up to him, guys, and I said, put your hand up to mine. <laughs> because I, Mike Bobo, who measured my hand at Georgia camp years ago, was nine and five-eighths inches. So I first thing I do is put my hand up to a young quarterback's hand. And see, there's Keelan Russell right there, who TCU is the first power five. Then Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, A&M's offered him. Um, he's got a chance to be a big-time guy. See, six, two and a half, that's accurate. He can run. He's got a little alpha to him, but he is a natural passer. He has a feel for it. He has a quick arm. So that's one kid I saw this spring. Um, and I actually asked him if he was headed to any Texas camps this summer. He said, not right now, but that could change. So we'll see. All right. All right. I, I need to say thank you to our sponsor one more time. That's uh, Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're looking to own your own business uh, and uh, have the time to do so, to manage it, to run it, or maybe you just want it as an investment, uh, give Andy a shout. There's plenty of different types of businesses out there for uh, people to look at. It takes you through a process. It gives you a questionnaire, allows you time to fill it out and takes you through it step by step and then works with you to see if it's right for you. Uh, give Andy Ludicky a chance uh, to earn your business. Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net if you're looking at possibly getting in to the franchise game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. 
All right. So we got another question here and waiting on it to come up. And it's from Joel McWaters preaches sometimes. If Dion's transfer heavy approach proves successful at Colorado, what kind of effects does that have on recruiting in the future? Doesn't the portal become more competitive than high school recruiting? It already is in some respects. <laughs> yeah. I think um, it already is. Yeah. I, I mean, think De- I think Dion's going to be so interesting. Um, I had a college coach predict they're going 0 and 11 this year, by the way, or 0 and 12. So we'll see if that happens. That <laughs> watched their spring game. The col- a college coach said that was bad. <laughs> they can't get enough players. So he predicted 1 11 to 0 and 12. Um, I'm not going to say who that was, but people would know who that was. <laughs> so, um, but if that if he has success with this in a couple three years. it's going to be interesting. I still think it's a developmental sport. Um, I I don't think Dion would be doing this at Florida state to this level. Obviously he would have come into having better roster and better players. So I think the job you get Bobby and Blake probably determines how much you are going to rebuild your roster through the portal. I I think you're right on Um, as it relates to that. My, I just feel like, I think it was a little, a little much to just blow the whole thing up. <laughs> that, that's what I think. I mean, I, I'm not real big on guys coming in and automatically blowing up the rosters. Yeah. I think uh, Pat Narduzzi at uh, Pitt, Pitt, you know, he goes, look, I mean, I, what's college football about a little bit? I mean, Dion is definitely doing it Dion's way. So, and, and he's the head coach and they hired him. So more power to him, I guess. But College football, you're supposed to be trying to get an, a – the vast majority of them are trying to get college degrees to go on and be mm-hmm. good members of society, productive members. Um, and I don't know that, you know, I don't know that that's the case everywhere. And so I, I'm interested. The question is whether or not it becomes – the other question is, does it become more, um, more competitive than high school re- recruiting? My question is, is, does it become more important than high school recruiting? Um, and I'll, I'll say this, Texas right now, and I was talking to Ian Boyd this week. We're He's missing today, but I'm going to have him on on Sunday. And I was talking, I go, you know, what would it mean for Texas to have an edge that is definitely a guy that is a future NFL guy to pair with Baron Sorrell? He goes, well, I would have no problem saying Texas is, you know, a 75% favorite to win the Big 12 then. One guy. Yeah. When, when you have everybody else surrounding him, you can't, you're never going to get that out of high school recruiting. Yeah. So my question is, when you're trying to put the finishing touches on a team, the portal could actually be more important than recruiting. I don't know if it's going to necessarily be com- more competitive, though. That, that's, a, that's a fair question. I, I'll tell you the, the third part to it is the portal can actually save guys' jobs. Oh, it can cost you your jobs at the smaller <laughs> level. But here's the thing: look about look at Mike Norvell at FSU. Mm-hmm. That they were in a hole and they Great couldn't point. have turned it around through the high school recruiting because they weren't going to beat Georgia and Alabama on the kids they need to beat them on. It wasn't happening. It wasn't going to happen. And that's not nothing against the FSU staff. They just hadn't won. They had lost their mojo right on the recruiting trail. They saved their jobs through the portal, and they were earlier than everybody. Like Jared versus being talked about as a top ten pick. That'll be a two-year edge player out of the portal that may be the best in college football this year. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's interesting how guys can save 
their jobs <laughs> through the yeah. portal. They got him from the University of Albany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very small school there. Well, let me ask you this, Jerry. Talking about it being competitive, do you think the portal's more competitive in football or basketball? Basketball. Basketball for sure, because three guys take you to the tournament. Yeah. I figured that's three guys can make that. coaches multimillionaires in a year. <laughs> it's just crazy. ask Chris Beard. Yes. Yeah. Great point, Bobby. Yep. I mean, look at what Kansas has done this year. I mean, Kansas knows that Coach Self has health issues. They're putting everything into make letting him have a run or two left here. Um, he just bought what the seven, eight million dollar house on the water in Lauderdale. So you aren't doing that 15 years before you retire, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so um, you know, Kansas went big in IL this year in the portal. And it's interesting, Kentucky hasn't, is that because Kentucky wants to make a change? You know, I, I don't know. But it's just interesting. But I think it's more competitive in basketball because of how impactful the players are. And you only need two or three of them in your tournament team with the right guys. Great insight there. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next question. And it comes from E. Kim. And he says, Ooh. Jerry and Bobby, who has been the best OL prospect you have seen in Texas and nationally? I want Bobby to answer first because I, I want to see if we have the same one. I don't think we are, but we might. Mine is in before 2000. Well, mine was Orlando Pace. So, huh? I saw Orlando Pace and Charles Woodson in back-to-back -back days in high school going yeah. through Ohio. <laughs> Orlando Pace – but he, it, that doesn't mean some other guys haven't been as impressive uh, through the years. Um, you know, but Orlando Pace was such a good athlete, Jerry, uh, yeah. to be so big. I, I just remember going by there, and it's from Sandusky, Ohio. I mean, it's <laughs> um, hey, and, it's known in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I've got to be. Oh, you talk about Michael Orr. No, um, Tommy Boy, the movie. Oh, okay, yeah. I, so Orlando <laughs> Pace was it. I'm, I'm trying to think of other guys that I've seen through the years. He is the first one that made I, – I, I bet there's others that have been just as good, but he's the first one. I, I mean, I was in my 20s when I saw him. He made me – he made my jaw drop. I'll put it that way. You know, in Texas, I was going with Leonard Davis. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Because I'd never seen anything like that physically. And then you saw him move at the state basketball tournament in the old Irwin Center State Tournament days. But his high school highlight tape, he was pl playing middle linebacker, clotheslining guys. Remember that, Bobby? That's the only way he could get there, and he just clotheslined the guy. <laughs> but, Jerry, he had a 99-yard touchdown return on a yeah. kickoff. Yeah. So I mean, he played at Wortham. I mean, small, small, small. But he was an un I, – I don't think I – and this was before these guys really were in training, right, Bobby? He was six so, so, didn't have any fat at all. You were just looking at the guy saying, "This is not real." <laughs> Wortham High School, at Wortham is where Leonard Davis from. Right. They didn't have a blinking red light; that a blinking yellow. Right. So, just to give you an idea, it was a one A school back in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, he's one of those kind of guys that you just you look and you go, "Wow." Um, I, there's been a dozen others that are kind of those. Physical DJ Fluker, oh, uh, the yeah. first time I saw him, uh, played at Alabama, but he was from Mobile. And literally, when he shook my hand, 
his his four fingers went past my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and, you know, and I was just like, wow. Um, but uh, no, I, Texas, I don't know that I'm trying to maybe him, maybe Leonard. Uh, come back to me on that. May, let me think a little bit. You got your gears turning there. I, I, has, has, has an offensive lineman, and I'm, I'm just blanking on it. Leonard went number two overall in the draft, I believe. Yep. Has any, have we had a lineman go number one overall from offensive tackle? Not offensive lineman. The only, uh, Miles Garrett was a defensive end that went one. Kenneth Sims, yep. the Texas based guy, is a defensive tackle, went one overall. Um, I don't. I don't know of any Texas player, Texas offensive lineman, that have won one overall. Hey, I, Bobby, I'll tell you who was an impressive one. When and, and he's loved, he's loved and hated. Uh, Blake Brockermeyer had some unbelievable high school tape. You remember yeah. that he was just a mean sob when he was on a football field, and that, boy, did that translate. Yeah, no, he was very talented. Uh, Blake was never this. Uh, the thing with Blake is he was tall and that sort of broad shoulder. But Leonard Davis and DJ Fluker and Orlando Pace, yeah. they look like they've swallowed oak barrels. Right. I mean, <laughs> literally, their body just looks like, you know, from the from the neck down, it's like somebody inserted a, an oak barrel into their chest. Yeah. And it goes all the way to past their waist. And yeah. uh, that was a but but Blake was obviously a first round pick and a great player at Texas, too. All right, guys. Next question here. And it's from David Williams, and he says, if UT gets the five-star recruits, such as Jarrett Gibson, Micah Hudson, Colin Simmons, Kobe Black, that are strongly considering UT, will the 24 recruiting class be more productive than the 23 recruiting class? That's a tough one to answer right now. Um, so much of the 23 class is going to hinge on AM and how good of a quarterback he is, because I think we know um, – Anthony Hill, Jonte Cook, Cedric Bax. So we're seeing enough of those guys. I think there's some good. That's yeah. I'm saying AM. I didn't want to go put the, much pressure on Arch Manning again. But uh, the 24 class is interesting. All those guys you mentioned right there, are early enrollees. So look, if Texas runs a table on those guys, that are a group of early enrollees with the other guys that are early enrollees that could go to Texas. That that's going to be extremely impressive group as an early enrollee group. And that's going to give them a chance uh, to make an instant impact because you see what Manny Muhammad did this spring at corner. He took full advantage and he's a two deep corner. Uh, Ryan Watts exits. If Kobe black picked Texas and he came in pretty good chance, he's right there uh, competing from day one. So, uh, but yeah, I, it, it, so much of the 23 class is going to depend on how good Arch Manning is. Um, when people look back on it, because I think we we have a pretty good feel for the rest of these young guys, their talent level. Maybe Derek Williams, too, because of the praise that Sark and Michael Griffin gave to him on signing day. Uh, but the 24 class, look, if they get the, if they get five of the top seven guys thereafter, all those kids are early enrollees, and uh, it's going to be a pretty strong class. All right, so time will tell. Okay, next question is from Ekim as well. Do you guys see Texas doing more of what Utah is doing with the recruit evaluations and development of talent? Utah has been doing great at this for years under Kyle Whittingham. I think they're already doing it. Uh, Jerry and I have talked about this before. The thing that we like about, and, and I was actually talking to someone else about this today, Texas, um, in Mac Brown's era, some of, some of Charlie Strong's and a lot of Tom Herman's, 
15 of 25 guys would be really good. And there'd be 10. And I don't know, like kind of maybe, maybe not. I Sark doesn't do that. I mean, Jerry, you know what I'm talking about? It's maybe he takes three to five that are, well, how does he fit? But he doesn't go as broad as, as Mac certainly did or what Tom Herman liked to do. Yeah, no, I to- totally agree with that. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was looking back at um, Cedric Griffin's class, for instance, um, that 2001 class, Cedric Benson, Derek Johnson, Jonathan Scott, Quan Cosby, Michael Huff, um, Cedric Griffin, Matt Norgren, Will Allen, Kendall Browles, Mike Garcia, Rufus Harris, Kalen Jakes, Anthony Johnson, and Lance McFarland from Jefferson, Braden Johnson, Euless Trinity, Roman Reeves, William Winston, Terrence Young, Brian Carter, the Woodlands, Eric Hall, and Yamil LeBron. So if you look at that class, to Bobby's point, you know, there are four or five guys in that class. You were like, mm, even back then we were thinking that, right? I think, and I think it's Sark's approach. I think it's the patient approach. It, it, the patient approach right now, Texas is ranked 48 in the country in recruiting. But instead of having eight commitments right now, the whole staff was out scouring the country, evaluating football players in the 24 class while doing work on 25. And for instance, you see Eugene Brooks is coming to visiting Texas the 16th through 18th. He's a 6'4", 330-pound guard out of Sierra Canyon in Chatsworth, California. Um, And no, he was not a basketball teammate of Bronny James. Uh, But um, you see that guy who's a – Mid to high three-star ranked prospect. His tape is better than that. And Texas, still in evaluation mode, goes out and watches Eugene Brooks. There he is this spring and immediately sets up an official visit with him. And that's when they already have six, seven, eight top guys. But I like what Texas is doing because they're patient. And if you're patient, you make strong evaluations in the spring evaluation period and early in senior seasons. And, and I think that is the strength of the staff is their strategy. Definitely. I, I just like, I like them as evaluators too. Yeah. Um, one of the, the key guy there, in my opinion, is Billy Glasscock, uh, who's director of football operations for them. Uh, he, he has an interesting background in that he didn't come from a, a, a high pedigreed school, like not, he didn't come from Alabama or Georgia or USC where they always had their choice of of players. He got brought up at Minnesota and then North Carolina state where they really had to be good evaluators, not Mm -hmm. unlike Utah. And now both of those programs, he got there and he left them better than what he found. And NC state did a great job in evaluation. That, that, on, that's on what I'm getting coast. at. Yeah. And so I like Billy and what he's done at Texas in particular. And I, because I don't think he necessarily combs over guys or, or discards guys that maybe a previous Texas staff might, because he's not a four or five star. That's, and, that's and, and, and you know what I think that is? I think it's a good synergy with him and Sark, right, Bobby? Sark wanted the he wants to be patient in the recruiting process, right? They want to evaluate. I say recruit through the whistle. They want to evaluate through the whistle in some ways. And, you know, coming from Dave Doran's staff where they had to do that to put the best product on the field of NC State, I think 
it's a really good fit with what Sark's strategy is. That makes total sense to me, Jerry. For sure. All right, guys. Next question here. Joel McWaters preaches sometimes. <laughs> wants to know if we're two and zero after Bama, is Wyoming a trap game? Well, my first thought is no, because it's a home game. I, I do remember back in, when Texas went to Wyoming when Colt was there, and that may have been as bad as they played for a couple of years. Remember yeah. that game? I mean, yep. Colt had a couple of turnovers. You were like, ooh, you know? And But uh, no, it's a home game. Wyoming was decimated by the portal, too. Yeah. Uh, that That's the one that, that I, I'm not real worried about that one. Just throw deep to Isaiah Nayor and take the trap game away. <laughs> Okay, next question here comes from Justin Roach, and he says, what's your expectations moving forward after Quinn Ewers leaves? Also, do you think Quinn stays another year, and what effect does that have on Arch? Bobby? Um, my expectations are for him to – I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll see you on five I, <laughs> My expectations are for him to lead the team to a Big 12 championship. Um, anything less than that, and he probably hasn't accomplished what was possible. Um, so if Quinn stays another year, I don't think that affects Arch leaving. I, I don't think Arch would start thinking that way until he's a junior, to be honest with you. It's just not how that family's wired. Um, so I think that's what people want to get a, a, a away with away from themselves a little bit in that regard. Um, uh, but you know, Quinn, I expect more, uh, I expect better footwork. I expect fewer mental mistakes. I expect him to get better footwork uh, and then to lead the team. Uh, that's th Those are no small words, uh, but they have to happen if Texas is going to reach its potential this year. I'll tell you what, there's a, a pretty noted quarterback uh, guru developer that is extremely high on Quinn this year. Um, he also predicted that Aiden McConnell would be the steal out of this draft. And, that, and Aiden McConnell ended up going, what, fourth round when some people had him mock seventh? Um, so I, it'll be interesting because this guy has my attention because of some of the guys he trains and I don't want to give up his name, but he's really high on Quinn this year. And I, I'm going to save it and I'm going to give him credit at the end of the year if he's right. There you go. Well, uh, let's move on to the next one, guys. And it comes from Seti B and he says question from for Jerry from now until we kick off in September, how many commits would you surmise Texas as if you had to wager four to six, seven to 10 or eight to 12? Is 13 to 15 an answer? <laughs> it can be. I, I'm going higher than 12 because eight, 75 to 80 percent of the kids are going to that Texas is bringing in for visits are going to they're going to announce their decisions in July or August. So I'm I'm going to go with Texas is going to be sitting around 14 or 15. If not, a couple more. Man, I think that'll make a lot of Texas fans happy. I don't think anybody's going to argue with you. You got a thought on that, Bobby? I, I mean, they got 45 I'm a little reluctant for official visits in June. 45. Yeah, I know. I, we were just talking about it. I, I, I'm a little reluctant, Jerry, to go that. <laughs> because, and I'll tell you why. Um, the, the vast number of out-of-state kids they're bringing in. Um, if there were, of the 45 official visits, more than half are out-of-state. If, if there were 30 in-state guys and 15 out-of-state guys, I think 15 would be likely, if not more than that, right? Yeah. But given that those numbers are reversed, I'm more in that 10 to 12 range probably. I mean, but, you know, we're, we're picking nits. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that we both expect a good 
recruiting class. The question is when and how. For sure. It'll be yep. interesting to see how it all unfolds. Well, the next one, guys, is from Ryan, and he says, give us any bowl predictions for the team or any players next year. Also, any bowl predictions for other Big 12 teams? I'll, I'll go. Um, I think Byron Murphy and Alfred Collins are going to play their way into being draft picks. Um, and I might even say third round or higher type of draft picks, potentially. Uh, that's a bold prediction. Um, I, I think those guys are going to have huge years. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if Byron Murphy in some ways isn't talked about being the best football player on the team um, by the, in the next year if he stays healthy, based on what I've been told. Um, so that's a bold prediction for you right there. Um, and I think Texas is going to have three wide receivers drafted in the NFL draft next year. Wow. Bobby? The one player I'm higher on than I think anybody else out there that's publicly, at least, not behind the scenes, but is Gavin Holmes, uh, the corner uh, from Wake Forest. Uh, he gives Texas something that no other player at corner gives them. Uh, that's speed, like true outright speed. Ryan Watts, not a speed guy. Terrence Brooks, although his athleticism and, and body control is elite. He's not necessarily a four, four guy. Right. Um, I, I just, I don't know that I have for, if there is one player that I'm extremely high on that I don't think people really quantify in their calculation of Texas football, it's Gavin Holmes. Uh, because I think he has a chance to change how Texas defends some people with man coverage because of his speed. So that's number one. Uh, any bold predictions for other Big 12 teams? I'm really high on uh, uh, Texas Tech and Kansas State. Beyond that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know BYU. I don't know Central Florida. Uh, those are, those are questions to me. I, I think, I think. Houston is going to have problems in the big 12. Uh, and I think the problem with Houston is that they're one deep um, and teams that come into bigger leagues. That is the number one issue they have. It's the issue that Texas may have and has to guard against going into the sec. It's the same one. Those teams have when they step up a level two. Cincinnati, I think is going to be really bad next year. Um, just lost too much, lost their coach. Got killed by uh, that stuff. But uh, biggest prediction probably for me on that would just be Texas, K-State, and Texas Tech. There you go. All right, guys. Next question here is from Michael Gresser. Hope I'm saying that right. What are your thoughts on the new special assistant to the head coach hires? And I hope I don't butcher this, but I am Sadat has an impressive resume, but I couldn't find anything on the other guy. You know, they released these a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we, we had something on them at the time. I think both of them are, one of them was, and I can't remember which, was a West Coast guy that Kwiatkowski and Jeff Schott knew very, very well. And another one was a guy that had some West Coast ties that Jeff Banks knew very well. Um, and so I don't know them beyond that. I've looked over their resumes, but I don't have anything like a, a specific instance of why they were brought in versus somebody else. I know that the two guys, one had a tie to Kwiatkowski and Choate, 
The other one had a really strong tie uh, to uh, Sark, or more so to Jeff Banks than to Sark. Good insight there. Okay, guys, next question that we have is going to come from King Me, and he says, Sark seems like a pragmatic coach. Is that what Texas culture was missing? I want to jump on this one. Go for it. I think the most important part of culture in that, especially nowadays with kids is being genuine. And I think Sark is a total opposite of his predecessor in that way. And I, I think that creates culture. You can tough love kids. People don't, I mean, Nick Saban tough loves guys, right? Chris Beard tough loves guys, but they know it's coming from a genuine place too. It, it being genuine is everything. We've talked about this on, on this show before with these kids, they are social media savvy. You, there are no secrets anymore. You can't sit here and say one thing to a kid uh, one day because he can go look up your comments on YouTube from four years ago when you were the coach somewhere else. These kids, they know genuine. They can look up genuine if they have questions about guys now there's no secrets so you better damn well be genuine that creates culture yeah i i agree with jerry um the pragmatic part of it uh, for me is is also uh dealing with you know where the rubber meets the road as much as the the pomp and circumstance of it all it's what's really possible and what do i need to do to get there um, I, I think that Sark definitely is a pragmatic coach and has a pragmatic approach to it. So he has to tell people, hey, look, you may not be the right guy for me. I, I am going to play someone else over you. And to Jerry's point, as long as he's genuine when he's doing that, mm -hmm. he, he gets it across and he can be successful with it. Um, he's not a rah-rah coach. No. You know, he's not Pete Carroll, who he learned from. Pete Carroll's ultimate rah-rah coach. He's also not stick in the mud that he learned from in Alabama, Nick Saban, <laughs> where everything's, you know, rat poison, right? He, he's his own person. Uh, and I like, I like that about him. And I do think that uh, Brian Irwin, the, the coach that we talked to on here, former state championship coach, he likes to say, look, Sark proved to me what he was made of two years ago when his team was five and seven. He didn't throw a single coach under the bus, didn't throw a single player under the bus. If you don't think that matters to, I don't know, Jade Barron or uh, Jake Majors or Byron Murphy or one of those guys, right, you don't get it. Because those, those guys, they read, they know what their coach says. If you don't think Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator who came back and had a really good last year, you don't – you think he doesn't recognize it. That, that's why they he's had consistency and, and his staff has stuck around for the most part. Definitely. All right. Hey, I need, I need to say thanks to Andy one last time. Then we got time for a couple more questions, Blake, for you. Um, Andy Ludicky, uh stuck in the corporate rat race uh, with two weeks PTO and no control over the money you can make or your schedule in general. Call Andy. He will take you through a process to help find a business that can fit your skill sets and financial goals. Franchise ownership isn't for everyone, but if you have a desire to take control of your destiny, call Andy or email him at andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Thanks again, Andy, for your continued 
support of the live stream on Fridays. All right, guys. Our next question here uh, is yeah. <laughs> longest horn. When y'all gonna hire this David William guys? He knows his ish. Uh, that won't, won't happen because I couldn't stay on his workout regimen. He would break me in like three days. <laughs> David, if he responds to that, he knows it's true. <laughs> All right. Next one is from Elizabeth Delaney. And Elizabeth asks, Jerry, is Love our first choice of players left in the portal? What would he bring to the team? Would we see a three-guard lineup more often if he comes? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely the top guy in the portal right now, him and then Arthur Kaluma. Uh, yeah, definitely three-guard lineup. Um, and I think that's what Texas wants to play. Um, is three guards around two bigs and even be able to play small with Brock Cunningham at, at four. Um, but, yeah, he is – look, he is a dynamic scorer. Um, he has to improve his shot selection. He'd tell you that. Um, he was allowed to play that way too, though, a little bit, and that's – it is what it is. Um, but, look, he's a six-four physical guard that's explosive. But he's also a really good passer. He does a really good job in the paint drawing defenders – and making a catchable pass to a big for an easy bucket. Uh, so people look at the scoring, they look at the shot making, and they miss one of the things he's really good at. He's really talented in transition. He's fast and he's quick and he's explosive vertically. I mean, he's a legitimate pro prospect that if he cleans up his shot selection and makes better decisions in the half court, uh, he, he's, he should be a draft pick. If he's not, it's kind of on him. Um, but, yeah, that you know, look, Texas – they if they got him they would they would be a really big time perimeter team i mean you know tyrese hunter up this three point percentage by seven in year two of college basketball i think max acemas is going to shoot 40 percent from three with 100 makes he's going to have better players around them he's going to be tougher to defend he's going to play off the ball where texas can get the ball in spots off the catch and he can step in play out a three-point stand a triple threat i should say a little bit more um, than he has in the past, and he's so good in the ball screen game. But if you put Love opposite Max Acemus with Tyrese Hunter, they would scare the whatever out of teams they play. It's a big recruitment for Rodney Terry. And, look, there's a reason Arizona's battling. There's a reason Gonzaga's uh, wants in there, too, is he, he has that ability to take a team from round the 32 to Elite Eight, Sweet 16 to Final Four. He's that level talent if he harnesses it. And I think whoever gets Caleb Love is getting him at a great time because he's coming off a bad season. Um, and he's, it's the ultimate motivation for him. There you go. Okay. Uh, next one here is a super chat from Oblood04. We want to thank you. That's a good question. Where would Texas finish in the SEC if they played in that conference this year? Golly. I, I think that the... Uh, ceiling floor on that is pretty high or, or pretty wide, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and that's because I don't quite think Texas is ready to accumulate the number of injuries on the front of the offensive line and defensive line that they might get each and every by playing in that league each and every week. So I, I think it could be top quarter of that league to top half of that league. I don't, I say that that's a pretty wide berth, um, but that's my feeling on it. I think they're like, I, I'm not a big believer in LSU right now. I am. Um, I know you are. Yeah. But I, I'm not. Jalen Daniels doesn't do that for me. Yeah. Um, not a, not a great downfield thrower. 
And I don't think they're necessarily great on defense. Um, I don't know. Uh, Ole Miss, Kiffin's going to score some points. Mississippi State, I think that's a different animal now that Mike Leach isn't there. Yeah. They're going to be more defensive oriented. Um, Florida's down. Arkansas is not. Arkansas just had two turnovers of its both coordinators. Yeah. Missouri has been trying to get back, but not been able to. Um, No recruiting geography. Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, maybe A&M on the way up. You like LSU. I'm not as high. Um, Yeah. South Carolina, not real big believer there either. I I would have Texas five to six probably, maybe four to six in that range, which is about where Bobby was saying. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting conversation. Thanks for the question. Yeah, definitely. Okay, guys, we got time for a couple more here. This one comes from Joseph M. And he wants to know, starting five O-line week one, is it different by week eight? And he's not talking about due to injury. I'll take it. I'll go yeah. for it. Week one, uh, I'm going to go left tackle Kelvin Banks, left guard um, uh, Cole Hudson, center Jake Majors, right guard DJ Campbell, right tackle uh, is going to be um, Christian, Christian Jones. Jones. My only other thing I might say there is Cam Williams instead of DJ Campbell at right guard. You Hayden Connor chance to push at center at all or Connor Robertson? I, I think that's going to be the issue. He's going to have a chance, but I don't think he's going to do it. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Lots of pieces to play with, that's for sure. Okay, next question is coming from – I'm waiting on it here. Uh, Alan Barrera, do you think Micah Hudson's recruitment will depend more on what Texas does during the season or Texas Tech? You know, I I don't know either way on that, if the season's going to be that impactful. Um, Now, he's not a guy who's going to decide before senior season as of today. Um, But I I don't think the season is necessarily going to be as as impactful as just a continuation of the recruiting process. Um, Now, I do think for Texas it can help them because the one thing Micah Hudson's never seen is Chris Jackson coach wide receivers at the University of Texas, right? Good Texas point. Tech also has a new wide receivers coach. Um, so, but I think it can help these teams, but I don't think it's going to be the decision maker uh, for Micah Hudson. And look, I, I could see him waiting, knowing where he's going, but waiting to announce it till end of the season. We'll see. Uh, if that's correct. But again, the things that could help Texas, you've never seen Chris Jackson coach wide receivers at Texas, but Texas Tech can say the same thing about their guy. So we'll we'll see. Who was a running back coach at Baylor last year? Right. <laughs> yep, that's true. Okay, guys, this is probably be the last question of the day here. And it comes from Joseph M. He says, save for all these five stars and tier one, four stars, who are some of your favorite prospects in this 24 class for all three of y'all? Y'all go ahead. That's a that's a fun question. Um, I really like Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker at Jasper. Some kids that I saw this spring. Um, look, he's six, one and a half, two ten now. He's grown. Um, he responded from his knee injury to have a great season on the field. They set him out the first couple, three games. 
he had a great season on the field. And seeing him in person, his arm length was a lot more than what I thought. When I say a lot, two inches more than what I thought it was. He's a six seven wingspan guy, maybe even six eight. So, you know, he's getting up there as to where the length is a huge difference maker. But then when you talk to him, very intelligent kid, um, small town kid who gets it. Um, I think his high school coach helps him because his high school coach gets it. Um, and he's a guy who can call a defense or he can play on the edge a little bit. So he was one guy that I really liked uh, this spring that maybe isn't the first five names that Texas fans think of right now in the 24 class. I don't know if Bobby has anybody. You know, I'm sitting here scrolling down the list right now to see if I – Tanthony Smith makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, before he blew up, though, is Selman Bridges. Um, he wasn't a – he wasn't a name six months ago that 90% of college coaches knew. And now he's a six, four corner and everybody's going gaga over him. Right. Uh, you know, and that's the situation. He's a teammate of Micah Hudson at, at Lake Belton. Uh, that would be probably the one that I would have said a month ago, but or two months ago. That's a good one for sure. Okay, guys. Well, I think that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank everybody for their questions. And then, of course, our super chats uh, that we had from Jay the Activist, Derek Wisner, Robert Muhammad, and Oblood04. We want to thank all of y'all for doing that. And uh, we'll be, or I'll be back with you guys on Tuesday. Bobby, I know you'll have content. Of course, Jerry, you too, all over InsideTexas.com throughout the weekend and bringing everybody the latest and greatest in all things Texas Longhorns. So for Bobby and Jerry, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.